this morning when uh, when I woke up, I was uh, aware of my first thoughts, which is unusual. Usually I, I get up and I kind of stumble around, uh, turn off my alarm, and I kind of go into autopilot getting ready. But this morning when, uh, when I woke up, it was interesting because I, I immediately uh, thought about... Uh, the setting of what we are celebrating uh, and remembering tonight. My alarm went off at 6 and uh, got up and turned it off, and I was immediately thinking about that point in time, you know, 2,000 plus years ago. Jesus was at that time being condemned by Pilate. Throughout the day today, I found uh, my mind kind of r- repeatedly turning to uh, the events of Good Friday. Now, if we piece together the, the, what the Gospels tell us, you know, they, they show that Pilate condemned Jesus to death to go to the cross at, at 6 a.m. Mark's Gospel tells us... Uh, at the, the third hour, meaning 9 a.m., Jesus was crucified. We read in, in Matthew's Gospel that there was darkness covering the land. It said from the, the sixth to the ninth hour, which is noon to, to 3 p.m. in our reckoning of time. And it was at, at 3 p.m. that Jesus yielded up his spirit. After being on the cross for six hours, after enduring the the wrath of God, shortly after he yielded up his spirit, Joseph of Arimathea took down his body and prepared it for, for burial, placed it in a tomb. It's good for us to to remember and meditate upon what took place on Good Friday. When, when the Apostle Paul wrote his letter to the Galatians, and I would ask you to, to turn there, as he began Galatians chapter 3, verse 1, he, he says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? And this is interesting. He says, It was before your eyes... That Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Now that's interesting because the Galatians were not eyewitnesses to Christ's crucifixion. No more than, than you and I are. And, and yet Paul is, is saying that, that they saw Christ crucified. How can that be? How is it that Christ was portrayed as crucified before their eyes? It's possible because uh, through the the faithful proclamation of the cross, through the the faithful proclamation of what took place that day, Christ is portrayed as crucified. Author Tony Renke says, The great spectacle of Christ crucified is a spectacle for the ear, not for a spectacle for the eye. For faith comes not by seeing, but by hearing. And that's why we need tonight. 
That's why we, we come and, and we read about uh, the crucifixion of Jesus. That's why we, we come uh, to remember what he has done for us. Uh, we, we come and we hear God's word proclaimed. We hear with our ears and our mind's eye takes us back to the cross. Uh, and as, uh, as the Apostle Paul is, is writing in Galatians 3, he is writing to uh, defend the sufficiency of what Jesus did on the cross. Uh, he is, he's writing to convince uh, Jewish and Gentile Christians uh, th- that the death of Jesus is the basis for their salvation. We look to Christ crucified and risen in faith, and that is all that is necessary for our salvation. Uh, the the, uh, the members of these churches that uh, Paul is, is writing to there in Asia Minor, now they were being influenced by false teachers who were saying, yes, you need to believe in Jesus, but you also need to continue to keep all of the Old Testament law. Now you still need to jump through all of these hoops once you have believed in order to be acceptable to God. And Paul is addressing this false teaching, and he points uh, them to, if you look at verse 6, he points them to the Old Testament. He points them to the example of Abraham, and uh, in verse 6, he's actually quoting Genesis 15, verse 6. Just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. He's pointing back and saying, look, from the very beginning, God has established that salvation is not by works. It is by faith. Uh, It's by looking to him and trusting in him. That that is how we get the righteousness that God requires. And in verses 10 to to 14, which which I want to look at with you this evening, the Apostle Paul is going to continue to make this point, and he's going to bring forth uh, more evidence Again, he's, he's seeking to convince these Christians that their only hope of salvation is through faith in Christ. And uh, as he seeks to persuade them, he's going to, uh, to emphasize uh, what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And this is what, exactly what we need to hear, what we need to, to see with our ears tonight. Uh, we, we need to hear about what Jesus has accomplished for us and where we are to set our hope. And what the Apostle Paul does is he draws our attention to, to three different realities here in these verses. The, the first one in verse 10, the reality that works bring a curse. If you look with me at that verse, he says, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse for it is written cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them so paul begins with a a very simple assertion right as many as are of the works of the law the esv says as many uh, who rely on works of the law are under a curse and the idea of relying or, or being of something is that you are in close alignment with it. You are depending uh, upon it. In the Corinthian church, there were factions in that church, and some were saying, I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos, and I am of Christ. I am connected with that individual. So there are some who are of the works of the law, meaning that they are aligning themselves with 
uh, a salvation based upon the things that they have done. They are founding their hope upon their own efforts and their own works. And again, this is the, the Galatians uh, being tempted to, to go back to uh, an old way of living after uh, the Apostle Paul came through on the first missionary journey and proclaimed the gospel to them and established churches. Shortly after, they're, they're going away from the gospel that he had proclaimed to them. And Paul says, if you're going to do that, to lead to something you don't want. He says, for all, an exact number, all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. And Paul uses this concept of being uh, uh, under something uh, repeatedly in Galatians. Uh, it's the idea that you are under uh, something's power and authority. Uh, and here he speaks of being uh, under the works of the law. In chapter 3, verse 22, he speaks of us being under the power and influence of sin. 3.23, he says that we are under the law again. 3.25, he speaks about we, the, the law was uh, our tutor, that we were under a tutor until Christ came. That everyone who, who relies upon works of the law, if you're going to trust in your own efforts, uh, then you are going to be under the power and authority of a curse. And this word for curse carries the idea of being under a, uh, a divine condemnation. It's not uh, human witchcraft or human sorcery. Uh, no one is putting a hex on you if you trust in works. Uh, God is saying you are under his judgment. And the evidence that Paul provides to support his assertion, and he just, again, he quotes the Old Testament again. If you're, if you're going to go this route where you're going to try and uh, earn your salvation uh, by keeping everything that God has commanded, uh, then this is, this is going to be the result. Uh, and, he, and he quotes Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 26, which uh, in the context, uh, when Israel got into the land, uh, they, they were to go onto two mountains, uh, Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. Uh, and they were supposed to split up into groups. And on one of the mountains, Mount Ebal, they were supposed to go and they were supposed to read all of the curses that would come if they disobeyed God. Uh, and uh, on the other mountain, Mount Gerizim, another group was supposed to, to go and read all of the blessings that would come if they obeyed God. Uh, and, and here the Apostle Paul is pointing to the, the final curse on the list in Deuteronomy 27. Uh, that was to be read on Mount Ebal. He says, if you don't obey everything, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Right? You've got to obey perfectly. That's what Paul is reminding them. And everyone who is going to rely upon works of the law, they are going to place themselves under a curse, under divine condemnation. Works uh, don't save you, but they will curse you. That's what the Apostle Paul is, is saying here. Uh, there is a, a book by Hampton Side. Uh, it's called In the Kingdom of the Ice, where he, he writes about uh, the journey of the USS Jeanette, uh, which is uh, in a, kind of an exploring vessel uh, led by uh, Captain DeLong. They were, they were setting out to explore uh, and try and reach the North Pole. Uh, the ship did not make it to uh, the North Pole. Uh, they got stuck in the ice. 
and the crew was there for over a year. Uh, and they finally got their, their vessel moving again, and eventually uh, the ship sank, uh, and they had to, to set out on foot. And after eight days of walking through or over the ice, uh, the captain uh, and the crew, they, they were hopeful about their, their progress. And the captain breaks out his instruments, and he uh, measures the, their latitude. They started walking south, hoping to hit Siberia. I think that's the only time you try and hit Siberia if you're coming, going south. But he, he takes out his instruments and, and he measures uh, wh- where they are. And he says, oh, no, no, that, that can't be right. And he, he waits and then the next day uh, he, he measures again, but this time he uses a, a different method to calculate their, their latitude. Uh, and uh, he comes up with the, the same exact answer. Uh, and he's, he's just really wrestling now because he thinks maybe my instruments are broken. Uh, th- this can't be right. So the next day at noon, he comes and he, he asks his first mate to, to kind of go through all of the measurements with him. Uh, and, and when the first mate comes to the exact same conclusion concerning their latitude, the, the reality began to dawn upon the captain and upon his first mate. The captain had believed that they had walked 20 miles to the south. But as they they kept remeasuring this latitude, they they kept uh, coming up with the result that they were actually eight miles north of where they had left their sunken ship. They they had drifted 28 miles, even though they were walking 20 miles south. They couldn't uh, outwalk the ice that was floating northward. And the the captain kept that to himself for a little bit because he knew how how discouraging that would be to his crew. It's not a fast walk, right? Eight miles or uh, 20 miles in eight days. And you end up being eight miles north of where you started. That's discouraging. And he waited to break that news to his crew. But I appreciate the the Apostle Paul here. He doesn't wait to break the news. He just comes out and tells us, right? If you're going to to depend upon works of the law, it's going to take you in the wrong direction. It's not going to bring you any closer to God. It's only going to bring a curse a condemnation because you're not going to be able to be good enough. So don't trust in your works. It will only bring a curse. It's not going to bring a blessing. Human effort cannot earn favor or forgiveness from God. So what is the alternative? Well, the Apostle Paul draws our attention to that next points to a second reality in verses 11 and 12. You'd say that the faith that brings life. Verse 11 says, Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. The Apostle Paul uh, makes his, his point exceptionally clear now. 
It was veiled before, but now he says this, that the law has no power to make anybody righteous. It, it can condemn you, but it can't make you right before God. And not only does it condemn you, it offers no hope of removing that condemnation. But in the second half of verse 11, now he, he presents uh, the alternative to you can, you can die by your works or you can live by faith. Uh, and he quotes Habakkuk 2, 4. The Apostle Paul is just uh, quoting sc- the Old Testament scriptures left and right here. And he, he quotes Habakkuk 2, 4, uh, which is a, a wonderful summary uh, of uh, how we are to receive the righteousness that we need. Now, it doesn't come through our own efforts and, and working and striving to please God. It comes on the basis of faith. Those who are declared righteous by God are those who look to him in faith, not those who uh, are, are scrambling to try and please him. Paul then makes a point uh, that probably seems obvious, but it, it should not be overlooked. He says that the righteous shall live by faith, uh, but the law is not of faith. That's what he said at the beginning of verse 12. Uh, and uh, he, he quotes another Old Testament passage, Leviticus uh, 18.5. Uh, and what the law emphasizes is not believing, but doing. Right? You must do these things. But, but that is not how we receive life. A little bit later in, in Galatians 3, if you, if you look over at verse 21, Paul is going to explain uh, the, the purpose of the law. So if, if we are not saved by doing good works, if I'm not going to uh, walk my way to God, then, then what good is all of these instructions that he has given me? Well, in verse 21 he says, Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not, for if a law has been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the Scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. The law did not make anybody into a son of God. But faith in Christ makes anyone who would believe a son of God. What we see the apostle laying out for us is the law uh, is intended to to show us how short we fall of God's standard. Uh, The law shows us the sinfulness of sin. The law shows us our need for Christ. The law takes us by the hand. It's our tutor. uh, And it shows us how desperately we need someone else to save us. How we need someone else to give us a righteousness. We say, I can't get it. That's what the law is intended to do. And it is faith alone that leads to life. The law is not able to give spiritual life to any of us. Pastor and author Dane Orland gives, gives this illustration in his book, Gentle and Lowly. He says, picture a 12-year-old boy growing up in a healthy, loving family. And as he matures, uh, through no fault of his parents, he finds himself trying to figure out 
how to really assure himself a place in the family. And so one week, he tries to create a birth certificate for himself. The next week, he determines to spend all his extra time scrubbing the kitchen clean. And the following week, he determines to do all that he can to imitate his dad. And one day, his parents question his strange behavior. And he says, I'm just doing all that I can to secure my place in the family. How would his father respond? Calm yourself, my dear son. There's nothing you could possibly do to earn your place among us. You are our son. Period. You didn't do anything at the start to get into our family, and you can't do anything now to get yourself out of our family. So live your life knowing your sonship is settled and irreversible. That's that's the difference between uh, living by works and living by faith and resting in who we are in Christ. Uh, You you can try and do all of those things, right? Fake a birth certificate, uh, try and scrub the kitchen, do all of those things, but, but none of that makes you a part of the family. What is it that makes you part of the family? Who your father is. And all who look to Jesus are are made sons of God. A person who depends upon works has faith, but he has faith in himself. Uh, He is the object of his own faith. When When you are trusting in your works, you're trusting in your own ability to get to God based upon your own efforts, based upon your own wisdom. You are the object of your own faith. But what Paul is speaking about when he says that we are to have faith here, uh, that the righteous will live by faith, what he has in mind is that uh, Christ is the object of our faith. He is the one that we are trusting in, not ourselves. Love what J.C. Ryle says. He says, work for God and Christ with heart and soul and mind and strength, but never dream for a second of placing confidence in any work of your own. But we might ask, why should you and I place our faith, our trust in Jesus? That's what we are called to do. Why should I trust Jesus more than I trust myself? That's the call of the gospel, right? Don't trust in your works. Trust in what Jesus has done. This is what the third reality that Paul draws our attention to in verses 13 and 14. The curse that Christ became. Paul draws our attention at the very beginning. Verse 13, he says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. That is what Jesus did. He has set us free from the curse, from the condemnation that hangs over all of us because we have failed to live up to God's righteous standard. But how is it that Jesus sets us free? The next portion. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. This is how Christ redeemed us. He became the curse for us. The the curse that you and I deserve He bore on the cross. He carried with him all the way up to Calvary. And and to prove his point, the Apostle Paul points to the Old Testament again. 
And this time he quotes Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 23. Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. In the Jewish culture, to, to be hung up and put on display was the ultimate shame. It was a sign that you were cursed by God. And so the Apostle Paul is saying Jesus hanging on that cross is evidence that he was cursed. But he wasn't cursed for things that he did. He was cursed because of us. He bore the curse that we deserved. He took all of our sin, all of our guilt, all of the the shame, all of the wrath of God that you and I deserve. Christ bore it on the cross. Now, if we take what uh, the Apostle Paul uh, has quoted here, it's powerful. But won't you turn with me back to Deuteronomy 21, because I think there, there's something even more to see in the context that, that if you were a, uh, somebody who was uh, familiar with the Old Testament Scriptures... You would understand even the greater context that the Apostle Paul is pointing to. Deuteronomy chapter 21. He's going to quote verse 23, but if we back up just a little bit to verse 18. This is what it says. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, will not listen to them. Then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of his city at the gate of the place where he lives. And they shall say to the elders of his city, This our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all of the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. And all Israel shall hear and fear. So what do you do with a rebellious and stubborn son? You put him on time out, right? Right? No, that, that wasn't, wasn't what God lays out here. Parents bring him to the city gate, present the charges, right? Four charges. He's, he's stubborn, rebellious. He, he is refusing to even be corrected anymore. He's a glutton, a drunkard. And, and the elders of the city hear the, the case. And if it is judged that the, that the charges are true, then, then the men of the city are to take stones And stone this young man. And to our Western sensibilities, this seems extreme and harsh, right? I mean, this is shocking. But we have to understand what is happening here and why. This son was unresponsive to discipline. And he was repeatedly disobedient to the authority of his parents. And by extension, he was disobedient to God. Because who has placed his parents over him? Sovereign God. And rebellion against earthly authority of parents is a rebellion against, ultimately, God's authority. And did you notice what, what God said in verse 21? So you shall purge the evil 
from your midst. He says, this is the kind of thing that you have to deal with. And you have to address it. Now, and this is to be a, a warning, right? And all Israel shall hear and fear. This is to be a warning to all the young men, to the, to the entire nation. Of, this is what happens when you, you rebel against God. Now look at uh, the very next verse. This is where sometimes uh, in our English translations, as they put little headings, it's not as helpful to see the connections. It says in verse 22, And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death. Now what crime was just mentioned and just talked about? Rebellion against parents. So if you have to, if you have to stone your uh, son who's stubborn and rebellious... And if you, in, in making him a warning to the nation, if you put him up and hang him up as a warning, and you hang him on a tree, verse 23, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day, for a hanged man is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. So, what we see is if, if there's a crime punishable by death and, and you hang this man up as a warning, it's showing that he himself is cursed, but don't let him be remaining there into the night because then the, the curse extends into the land and to the nation. This is a powerful, powerful picture. Later on in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel is described using the same two adjectives that we saw back in verse 21. What were the introductory adjectives for this son? He is stubborn and rebellious. Psalm 78, verse 8, speaking of Israel, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Jeremiah 5:23. But this people has a stubborn and rebellious heart that they have turned aside and gone away. What's the prophet Jeremiah saying about the nation of Israel? What is Israel deserving? Because of their stubborn and rebellious heart. That they are deserving of judgment. So let's think back now. When the Apostle Paul quotes this verse... In Galatians 3, what is he saying? When he is saying Christ became a curse for us and he was hung on the tree, in the context of the verse he quotes, he's saying, what is it about us? You and I, we are stubborn and rebellious children. We are those sons and daughters who are worthy of curse who are worthy of being stoned and then hung up as a warning to others that's what we deserve but even as we sung in that beautiful song stricken smitten and afflicted christ bore all of that curse for us and where we should have been a warning to others christ is a warning of how serious sin is Sin is so serious that Christ had to die. There was no other way. 
you and I were under a curse. Under the condemnation of God. And right now, if you are relying upon, if you are depending upon the works of the law being your hope, if you're saying, I can earn my way to God through my own efforts, the Apostle Paul says that you are right now under the condemnation, under a curse. But if you are right now not depending upon yourself, but depending upon Christ, then that curse, uh, that condemnation is permanently removed. No longer upon us. Verse 13 tells us what Jesus did and how he did it. Verse 14 in Galatians 3 tells us why he did it. We're not going to spend much time here, but two big reasons. First is to to bring the blessing of the promises of Abraham to the Gentiles. Verse 14 says, So that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. And then the second reason. So that we speaking of all believers, Jewish and Gentile, that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Those are worthy of uh, their own sermon at a, at a different time, but we need to linger a, a little bit longer upon the what that Jesus did and the how He did it. Because Christ became a curse for us. Now, we are no longer under that curse. So when we have placed our faith in Christ when we are weighed down by the guilt of sin and our sinfulness before God. Now, we do not need to despair. If we are weighed down by sin, we need to make sure that we have confessed it. But we need to, to make sure that we have acknowledged it before God, that we have sought to, uh, to repent. We confess the truthfulness of our sin and sinfulness, and we rest securely then, in the finished work of Christ, we don't have to act as if that curse is still hanging over us. What does Romans 8, 1 say? Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And why is that? Because Christ has already paid for it all. If Christ has become the curse for us, we don't have to continue to act under it. We are completely freed from it. One of the Puritans says this, John Flavel, The curse of the law condemns the sinner to death in soul and body. Nothing can free the soul but Christ. The curse of the law is the most dreadful thing imaginable. It strikes at the eternal life of the soul, and when it has pronounced its verdict, it is immovable. No tears of reformation can free the guilty sinner. It requires an infinite satisfaction that no mere creature can give. Christ frees the believer from this curse. He dissolves the obligation to punishment and cancels all the bonds and chains of guilt. And this is done by the full price being paid in place of the sinner, making a complete and full satisfaction. The ransom was paid in full, and it is sufficient. Christ was made a curse for us. It was an act of the God-man, and no other was capable of giving satisfaction for an infinite wrong done to God. 
It's a lot in that singular statement at the very beginning of verse 13, right? Christ became a curse for us. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. That was probably a, a confession of faith for the early church. And I pray that that would be our meditation tonight, tomorrow, and every single night. And that that would be our profession of faith. Even as the Apostle Paul has drawn these realities to our attention. That works bring a curse. Uh, there's a faith that brings life. Uh, and there, the, the curse that Christ became for us. 